Welcome to the Retail Wire Podcast. Hey everyone, what's going on? It's Brian back again with another exciting episode here on the Retail Wire Podcast. Uh, I've got a great guest with me in the studio today and I can't wait for you to meet her. Uh, she has done some incredible things uh, within the retail industry, specifically within fashion. Um, and my guess is uh, if you've been around fashion stuff at all, you've probably come into contact with her or you have at least dealt with some of her products, some of the, the things that she's worked on over the years. Um, and you may not even know it. So uh, I will go ahead and tell you just a little bit about her uh, before I just kind of let her uh, talk about herself for a while. But this person is has previously been with Holt Renfrew. Uh, she's been with Ralph Lauren, Club Monaco, Nike, Accenture, and more. Uh, she is uh, on the advisory board for TalkDesk, as well as the advisory board for Women of Color Retail Alliance, or WACRA, if you're familiar with that. And now she owns and leads her own organization, the Retail Strategy Group, and of course has been a brain trust member with us here uh, since around 2020. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Miss Lisa Amlani. How are you? I'm fantastic, Brian. I love that recap. It was perfect. You just summed up 25 years of my life in about three seconds. Man, that's that's. It's such a long journey for you. And I, I love, you know, obviously we see some huge names uh, that you've dealt with and worked with and worked alongside. Um, man, that's that's got to feel pretty good, right? Kind of kind of recognizing and taking a moment to look back. It does. But I think more the thing that makes me more, most excited is all the brands that I'm working with today and, mm-hmm. um, you know, what's going to come of the future. Really? Absolutely. So tell us just a little bit about, before we jump into your professional career and everything, tell us a little bit about who is Lisa Amlani? What's, uh, what's family <laughs> life look like for you? Where do you live at? What do you do? What's, what's some of your fun things that you like to do when you're not doing all okay. this awesome retail work? Well, I, I guess you could say that I'm, um, I'm very worldly. <laughs> I have lived and moved about, I think, 28 times. Um, my family is originally from Uganda, so I'm East African and, um, they moved to the UK in the seventies. There was, um, if, if you know much about what was going on in Africa at the time and still today, uh, there was, um, Idi Amin (laughs) happened. And, uh, so a lot of people had to move out of, um, out of the country and my parents were one of them. So I was born in the UK, so I'm British um, and now I live in Canada. I'm just outside Toronto, uh, coolest place ever, and um, maybe relocating to New York soon. So that's exciting. So I'm pretty much everywhere, uh, global citizen, as they call me. Very nice. Well, that's that's exciting. So that's a really cool story that I think, you know, I mean, obviously it's got struggles and everything that, that uh, none of us would necessarily hope on anybody. But at the same point, to see um, just the challenges and everything and, and to know, uh, wow, I, I just think I can't wait to hear more of your story. I'll say that, um, but we won't jump into that right up front. So, uh, so you said you might be relocating to New York. Now I've never actually been up to Canada at all. So I might have to come visit you before you move. You absolutely should. Uh, Canada is fantastic. I mean, it's huge, right? Every yeah. part of uh, the country is different. 
So um, I'd say come visit me first because Toronto is the best because I have to say okay. that. Um, but we're, it's beautiful here. I mean, I just I was just in Calgary a few days ago, um, stunning, surrounded by mountains. And then, of course, the West Coast, the East Coast. I mean, we have it all. Uh, so definitely take your time and, and come to visit for sure. <laughs> There's a lot to see here and a lot of great retail, uh, of course. I mean, we have some great brands. Uh, I mean, I'm wearing... Every day I wear Aritzia. That's one of my favorites, Lululemon. Um, but no, we have some really great uh, retail, some great fashion, um, even some great department stores. Shockingly, yeah. they do still exist. Hey, you know what? That's that's where I think America has potentially lost some steam. And, uh, you know, here we've, I feel like retail stores have kind of maybe started to, to drop a little bit. But yeah, you're right. They are alive and well in other parts of the world that uh that we tend to forget about um as as americans right so yeah and i mean don't get me wrong we all have our troubles right i mean this is uh you asked me a bit about you know my background and myself i've always been in retail and i've always loved it i mean i trained first to be a designer so i understand product really really well um and then i moved into buying and now the business side of fashion and of course being a profit performance expert that I am today, I will tell you that there is a lot of improvement that um, that needs to be done across the retail industry, across the globe. So, you know, I think I have my work cut out for me, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, now, so now what first sparked your interest in retail? Uh, was that your parents or was that something else that, that an experience that you had? Were they involved in retail at any point or, or uh, where did that come for you? You know, I don't think any of my family was in retail. I mean, my dad's, he comes from engineering. Um, my mom has had this entrepreneurial mindset for sure. So she, you know, she hustles. So I think that's where I get that from, for sure. But um, no one in my family was really in retail or fashion. I think growing up in, in London, to me, that was the center of the fashion world, let alone the world. Uh, you know, just being exposed to, you know, fashion weeks and just the retail in London is just, it's incredible. And it's always evolving. Um, One of my first roles out of school, out of university was actually going back to London and I worked at Harrods, which was, you know, one of the places that my mom used to take me as, as a young child. So for me, I think fashion has always been in, in my life because um, just being in London and growing up there, I think that's kind of where it all started. Yeah. What do you see as one of the biggest differentiators between, say, U.S. and London or or maybe another third market somewhere? Um, what what do you see some of the biggest factors as differentiators in fashion, uh, say, just in those areas? Well, I'd say being, you know, in Europe, I think just in terms of fashion, I'd say Europe is a little bit um, they're, they're willing to take more risks, let's say. Uh, from a fashion perspective, as well as um, incorporating new ideas, technologies, um, testing, a lot more um, openness, let's say, in Europe, uh, UK, Europe, even Asia. Uh, But what I will say about the US is that there's just so many retailers here. There's so much opportunity. And I think that is why... um, you know, you'll see a lot of the bigger conferences in in the U.S. I think that there's just a lot of opportunity, a lot of opportunity for change, a lot of opportunity to test um, new technologies, etc. But 
new processes as well, because there is so much retail. That's, I think it's just the size, really. Yeah. That's really cool. So, you know, it's funny because we, we tend to think, I know I tend to think, I'm not going to say we, I'm going to say I tend to think that a lot of things remain very similar around the world. And I think in a lot of categories they do, but then you have these really cool uh, differential, differential, you know, factors that, that play specifically around the retail and, and around fashion and everything. And so I think, you know, if I'm understanding correctly, yeah, it sounds like they're a lot more edgy on kind of what's possible versus when you come here, then it's like where, where the possibility comes to actuality in, in the sales side, probably a little heavier here. Is that kind of on track? Yeah, I would say that. I mean, just from a size perspective, even when I worked for Ralph Lauren, I mean, we were, you know, a small percentage of the business uh, globally. So if you just think of the sheer vastness of the U.S. compared to the rest of the world, I would say that, um, you know, retail is is really, this is almost headquarters, you know, for yeah. retail. Yeah. That's really cool. So, okay, so... Take us back to kind of, you, you know, you mentioned fashions are always been part of your life. It's always been kind of involved for you. What was your first role in, say, in fashion retail that you're just like, hey, this this could really mean something. Uh, this could really be something cool. Well, I mean, I <laughs> I hate to say it, but I was definitely working illegally when I was like 13 years old in a store. So, you know, don't judge. Yeah. <laughs> um, I loved it. I loved fashion. I, I was mean, driving a forklift at 13, so trust me. <laughs> okay, just, okay. So. so same, 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 right? <laughs> uh, but what I'll say is, you know, even during school, like I made a lot of clothes. Um, you know, I was really immersed uh, within the art program, the fashion programs within my high school. So I just, I always knew that I, I needed to be in the industry um, just because of my love for, for apparel and um, just like, sense of style. Like there was just so much creativity and um, you could really show who you were without talking in a way. Right. Yeah. So it was, it's a form of expression and a form of art. And I think that's where um, the love really started. And I didn't know that it could be a career. I was like, okay, I can either work in a store or not um, until I started to really look into programs um and I actually got into fashion design and then midway I switched over to fashion marketing because I'm like, well, I feel like this is where the money is. <laughs> you know, I need to kind of um, build that career path, but I never intended to be a buyer. That was something that was, um, you know, once I did my work study, I was like, I'm never doing this. And then of course I have like a 20 year career in buying. I just love product, but more importantly, I just love um, I love the interaction with the consumer when they find delightful product, product that works. I mean, you know, when we got on on the call, you were talking about your hat. And I just loved the way that you not only describe the hat, but there's like the fit and the functionality of what you're wearing was yeah. so important to you because it was innovative. It was different. And it really spoke to why um, that hat was perfect for you. So that's what where my love really comes from. I think it's just the interaction with the customer and understanding uh, what they want and then translating that into a product assortment, uh, whether that's design or planning or merchandising. So I well, don't know. I just, I think important. it's just in my DNA. 
Yeah, it, it's absolutely important to have that, you know, there, there's function and there's form and, and, and having something, you know, it's funny because I get excited about silly things like a hat, but at the same point, it's not a silly thing because one, it started out with someone else's dream, right? And so if I were to say it's just a silly hat, well, then that's saying it's just a silly dream. But in reality, Findlay hats, uh, I'll just give them a shout out there because they're, they're really fun. They're really a great brand. And, uh, you know, so they've, they've been somebody that I've been, been continuously impressed with, uh, the quality I've seen them. And, you know, it's, it's funny because another comment I made to you before we started recording was, um, you know, if you see someone else out, you know, in the wild, uh, wearing a Finlay hat, then you kind of, you look at each other and there's this recognition that like, oh, you're part of the club. Like you get it. And so I would imagine that's probably similar to, to what ladies go through whenever you see someone with a, a similar brand handbag or something like that, because it's like, Oh, we identify very well here because we like the same things. And so, uh, you know, a lot of core values, a lot of the core, uh, behaviors that they do, uh, is something that you personally identify with. And so you find yourself creating this kind of the sub niche, uh, you know, of, of culture. Uh, just by knowing that the other person is wearing a Finlay hat or carrying a certain bag or whatever else. And so, uh, you know, I think that's, it's really cool to see that. And I love, I love your passion behind that. I think of a, a friend of mine, Kristen, who uh, she's actually uh, in design uh, for fashion and stuff. And she's here at Walmart. Uh, I, maybe I shouldn't have said that, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> Kristen, don't hate okay, me. Okay, give her a uh, shout out. No, she, yeah, so she's over there, and she, but she's, you know, she's got that same passion that you have for finding uh, what people love, what people are proud of, what people, uh, what excites them, you know. And so I think that's that's fascinating. I love that. Um, so whenever we come back to, so like thinking through some of your early years, you know, you obviously jumped right in, was there kind of a pet project for you? Maybe uh, that was a, a quick win or, or to counter that, was there something that you're like, Oh, this is totally going to make it. I'm going to crush it with this. And it turned out to be maybe not as successful as you wanted or the opposite of that. And you're just like, well, I'm just doing my job. And it turned out to be a massive hit. Well, I mean, I have many of these stories. Um, one that I actually talked about at a conference um, a few weeks ago, I was speaking in front of about 200 people and trying to, you know, just show that you really will learn from your mistakes. So one of the things that happened to me was I was um, working with a retailer and I developed a private label program of loungewear because it was like the biggest thing during the time, loungewear was um, the thing to have. And our competitors were doing similar types of loungewear. So I'm like, okay, we need to create this. So it was a private label program and um, it completely bombed. And the mm -hmm. reason it bombed is because this is not what our customer wanted to buy from us. And this is a lesson that I take to, you know, some of the market leaders and projects that I work on today how important it is to really listen to the voice of the consumer. And yep. I cannot tell you enough how many brands and retailers just don't. And, you know, we have many examples of failed retailers. I mean, I talk about Bed Bath & Beyond a lot. And it's because yep. I think, you know, they really lost sight of who their customer was and what their customer actually wanted from them. So that's a, yeah. that's a story that I, I do like to tell because I think it's important 
um, you know, to incorporate that voice of the consumer and, and customer feedback and insights throughout your product creation process. And this is something that I preach. I'm sure you've heard me talk about this. And I can tell you from experience that when you don't, you are more likely to fail. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's so important because I think, you know, I think of I kind of relate that to marketing and the the previous the previous approach to marketing was, hey, I've got this cool widget. You need to buy it. And here's why. Um, now you have this saturated market where you got 10,000 places to buy that one widget and that one widget can be knocked off a dozen, you know, you can 50,000 different ways, you know. So uh, that's where it's like instead of saying uh, you know, Hey, I have a hat. You need a hat. Well, it's showing here's not only the function of it, but also letting us see who the people are who run the organization and go, yeah, I really, I really believe in them. I like them. And so, uh, you know, that, that, that gets that customer buy-in, right. That gets that consumer, um, embracing the brand and really coming alongside you. So I think, you know, to relay that back to your point of just going, ask the clients, ask the customers, the consumers, what they need, what they want, and then just yeah. find that way to fill that gap, right? Exactly. And I think one of the things that um, you know I work on uh, with some of the brands and retailers that are on my roster is just working on consumer insights and where to incorporate them. So you know, I kind of list four things. Uh, the first one is during product creation. So during the product creation process, whether you're incorporating insights through technology or walking the shop floor um, during the product creation process is critical. Mm -hmm. During assortment planning, because as we know, customers are evolving every day. They're moving uh, and many brands and retailers haven't adjusted their hierarchy of stores. So they're still sending the same product to the same stores, but the customers aren't there anymore. Uh, mm. And then in season, in season is very important, um, especially if we are looking to react to customer uh, shifts in trends and buying behavior in season. We have to be able to speak to those customers, understand why they're not buying something and fill that gap or be reactive closer to the time of sale. And then, of course, post sale, right? Post sale will inform the next season. Uh, most most merchants are working at three seasons at a time. We have so much overlap because we take so long to get to market. Yeah. So we're too far away from when the customer actually is going to buy the product. Um, I, I, you know, I could talk about this all day, so I'm not going to, but I will tell you that consumer insights are, are critical. Uh, incorporating market feedback and closing the feedback loop, whether it's yeah. through returns or call centers or, even just through um, abandoned carts, right? I think that there's always an opportunity to capture customer feedback. It's what do you do with that? That is mm, really yeah. um, where the process needs to be innovated. Yeah, because I mean, it doesn't matter if you've got all the systems set up in the world to collect the data, but then you're not actually interpreting it, then it you might as well not even have the data, right? Like you're, you're just setting exactly. up future people for success, not, not uh, yourself. So, yes. Um, yeah. You know, well, and so, okay. So thinking about that, like you mentioned one thing that's, that's always been fascinating to me too, is, you know, thinking 
forward momentum on on the next season or the next three seasons, like you're saying. Um, you know, so so let's it's not fashion related, but to talk retail in future seasons. Uh, you know, one thing I've noticed it's you know Independence Day is over now, so I'm I'm sure we'll see Christmas trees popping up in big boxes everywhere very soon. Uh, but realistically, how important is it for them? Uh, you know, we can joke about it coming to market really fast, right? But then, how important are those first few days for retailers uh, or even weeks? I guess you know, I, I jokingly said after Independence Day, but but being realistic. Halloween ends and Christmas comes out, right? So what do those sales numbers look like or or what does the trend look like? I should say, not even numbers, but just what does the trend look like? Uh, why is it so vital to work as far ahead as you do? Well, I think there's a few questions in there. So let's, let's go yeah. with um, when merchants, retailers, when we're planning for the year, we have uh, promotional events that we're planning for. We have um, calendar events like back to school, Halloween, um, Boxing Day, as we call it in Canada. Uh, you know, we have Black Friday, we have Christmas. And then, of course, you know, you start all over again. So many retailers, and especially if you're apparel or footwear, it takes quite a long time to get from concept, uh, design, product development, and then to market and in the stores. It takes about a year. And the reason it takes so long is because, I mean, number one, we've been working the same way for a really long time. You have these big um, process-filled calendars with key alignment moments that, you know, all these teams are working towards. But the fact is that a lot of these processes haven't changed. And because they haven't changed, we're either taking the same time to go to market or longer. Post-COVID, in fact, because of the supply chain disruption, there was a lot of padding that was happening within the process steps from going from concept to market. So, in fact, it was taking a lot longer. Mm -hmm. And when, we, when we're given more time, we're going to take that time to either create more product or have you know more meetings or more decisions being made. But in reality, we actually need to get faster to market because if we are so far away from when the consumer is going to actually purchase something, we may lose sight of either a trend or products that the customers actually want. And COVID is a great example of where we are buying a year ahead. We're buying formal wear. We're buying all the things that we're used to buying. But mm -hmm. what the customer wanted was fleece and they wanted athleisure right? Because they're at home. So nobody could have predicted that. But if we were closer to market, we could have reacted uh, a lot sooner versus canceling orders and factories going out of business because retailers were canceling orders. This is the reality that we're just yeah. too far. And what we do know is that fast is possible because Shein is very, very, very successful. Zara, Inditex Group, they're able to go from concept to market within 30 days. So we know that it's possible. The fact is that organizations, retailers, brands, it's very difficult to change the way we're working because we are used to working the same way. And yeah. in many cases, it's it's not only the process that needs to 
be innovated and changed. But people need to be educated that, in fact, if we get faster to market, you're actually going to have more time and space for innovation. Yeah. Well, and that's, yeah, exactly. I think it's it's seeing opportunities to recognize this is where it has been. This is the way it has been, but only because, you know, it's that that was necessary at the moment, but it's not the way it has to be. Right. And so, you know, I think back of, of there's so many places and so many processes that continue to just be the same way because that's just always the way we've done it. Uh, but then, like you said, kind of similar to inflation happening, you know, once prices go up, we know rarely do they go back down, at least to the, the pre-inflation rates. Right. You know, there's always going to be growth in there. There's, there's always going to be expansion in numbers. So, um, you know, I think the opportunity to see that, but, uh, you know, is vital. But I think like when you when you have a process, especially something that was thrown completely out of alignment from previous years, uh, like we saw over the last three years, then, uh, you know, you added in additional padding, you added in additional time or maybe, uh, you know, found different resources that weren't as efficient, but you, or, you know, they, you could count on them a hundred percent, you know? And so at least they were reliable, even if they weren't able to provide the same volume. Uh, but now once you're moving past, uh, you know, all the, the world events, well, then suddenly you need to find you need to find a way. And I would imagine, tell me if I'm wrong on this, I would imagine that you're seeing the need to increase the uh, volume that you can order, either either increase the volume from that smaller brand that you are able to source from reliably, or you need to look at going back to the other uh, larger supplier and so that would probably put you up against a wall a, a little bit um, in a decision because you don't want to shortchange someone else's business, right? While you're uh, resuming your own business back to full speed ahead. But you've got to make your right decisions for what is good for your brand and your company. And so it's a, it's a fine line, I would imagine. Is that safe to say? Um, I'd say yes and no. I Okay. Buying buying too far ahead and buying too deep in your quantities is not necessarily the right answer. Um, okay. Understanding what your customer wants at a specific time, so right product, right place at right time, is critical here. And where that comes from is consumer insights, is um, your historical sales. Of course, they are going to play into this. Using data and predictive analytics to... Uh, make smarter decisions for when to bring in product and at what point, because what we don't need to do is front load because we can actually stagger deliveries. That's where we need to spend a little bit more time, because if we stagger deliveries, then we can understand better if the consumer is reacting to something in a positive way. And then you can backfill or you can change course. So this is where shifting to consumer trends and behavior closer to the time of market is so important. The other thing I would add is um, many design-led brands and multi-brand retailers are still working with the same type of calendars when it relates to fashion. So we, when I'm, what I'm talking about is um, spring, summer, uh, fall, holiday, and they're building assortments within the constraints of these seasons. What we need to start to do, especially with 
products that can live past your traditional season is create a seasonless bucket of product. And seasonless could be the black t-shirt that you're wearing today. It could be the blouse I'm wearing today because it transcends the constraints of a specific season, which would mean you would have reduced markdowns, but you can buy into more raw material knowing that you're going to sell this product continuously season after season. So rethinking the way we look at the buckets of seasonality is key in planning for the future and being more reactive to what and when consumers want product and what they actually want. Okay. Okay. No, that, that makes sense. Thank you so much for explaining that to me. Cause you know, I mean, obviously I'm not in the fashion side, so uh, you know, that's, that's like, there are so many different layers that I think people don't realize come into play exactly what you're saying. And so, You've got to find that right placement at the right time. So, ah, so good. So good. I could, I could ask you more and more questions, but I know we've got to keep moving on time here. So let's shift into, I guess, current, um, where we're at right now in the state of retail fashion. Um, what are you excited about in fashion right now? What's, what's something that's coming to market? Like, uh, is it a technology? Is it a supply? Is it, you know, different designers coming available? What's What's got you going right now? I think what excites me the most right now is the development in material innovation. So textiles, trims, um, color development, all of these innovations are going to help uh, not only from a sustainability metric, but are also going to help us uh, have longevity within the materials that we buy into. So mm. it's better for the climate. Um, I think that just the fact that we develop so much product year after year, I think this is where we really need to start questioning retailers and brands practices. So that just that innovation around textiles and what's happening within the space of circularity, that is I think the most exciting thing right now. Yeah. I love the fact that um, there's a retailer, a design-led brand and retailer out of Canada called Mountain Equipment Club or Mountain Equipment Company at Mech. And um, I love that they are looking into their practices and processes around product creation. And they're very transparent about it. And, and the consumer really has a front row seat into how they're going to be more sustainable and ethical in their practices and product creation. That truly excites me. I love the Patagonia story. I love everything that Patagonia is doing right now. I do think yeah. there can be some improvement in terms of product creation and waste around uh, development of materials as well as product. So this is the space that I think that there is the most opportunity. Um, okay. I think that AI plays a generative AI, AI, predictive analytics, machine learning, all of these technologies play a significant role in identifying what the customer wants. We just need to start seeing more brands and retailers take advantage and leverage these tools. That's what I want to see. That excites me to no end. Absolutely. No, it's funny you mentioned that because I was going to ask, do you see uh, any applications for generative AI and what you're saying? And that, that 
that nailed it because obviously it's a hot button topic right now, right? Everybody's talking about AI and machine learning and everything that's that's going into new developments uh, today. And so it's, it's really exciting to see all the different applications that it can have throughout uh, every every element of retail, right? It's not just about sales or marketing, but even the even the development of materials, like you're saying, that's that can be huge. So yeah, and I think once once retailers and brands really start breaking down those silos across um, cross functional teams and areas within retail. We can really learn from marketing. Uh, merchants can learn from uh, product creators and sourcing partners, I think, on a deeper level. And even uh, when you look at your supply chain partners, there's so much opportunity to learn from these different teams if we start breaking down those silos within retail, which we know exist. And, you know, everyone is trying to break them down, but we need to really innovate those processes in order to really see the benefits of technology and tools that we have today, because we can start using them across different areas of retail, like generative AI, from product descriptions to uh, what customers are looking for, um, and feeding that into and fueling product design and product creation from a fit and sizing perspective. I mean, the opportunities, they're endless. Yeah. Well, and it's it's funny, yeah, because uh, even even just yesterday, I was talking to somebody, and spoiler alert, uh, it's the episode right before this one airs. Uh, so go back and listen to that one. But he actually talks about um, this product development, um, and and this person created, uh, I guess I think it was his this, this guy's daughter created a shoe, could not find the running shoe that she wanted uh, on the market, wanted design, function, everything. And she was able to go out and they were able to figure out a way to fully go from concept, like design, idea, everything, all the way through to having a fully functional, um, you know, visual and kind of description and everything that they could take to uh, a designer and they could start pitching to brands and shopping that around. And so it was it was incredible to hear this. They did the whole thing in like two hours. Uh, and so I think there's so much room in the fashion industry, uh, exactly what you're saying, to be able to uh, to to expedite some processes, to reduce some wasted time or materials. Um, and I just think that's so fascinating. I think it's really cool to see, and I'm I'm excited to see where it goes to. So, um, on the heels of everything today, so this is one way I love to wrap up, and is is the one question. That obviously you've experienced a lot of stuff along your career journey, um, and you're, you're, you've seen things change, you've seen things come and go. Um, but thinking of of your own learnings of of who you uh, who you started as and where you're at now, um, then is there one piece of advice that you would give yourself looking back over all your experience? Um, is there something that kind of stands out to you as a life lesson learned? Or, um, you know, it can be serious, it can be fun, whatever you'd like it to be. But uh, what, what would you go back and say to yourself if you could travel back and just tap yourself on the shoulder and say, hey, you're just getting going. But what is that? Well, you know, being a, um, a woman of color and being part of uh, the Women of Color Retail Alliance, I think what I've really learned is that um, I'm not alone. And I think that is, that is what I would tell my younger self is to just keep going because 
I'm not alone and that there are others like me. I think it's very common to feel isolated when you look a certain way and your leadership team across retail on a global scale, there aren't very many women of color in those leadership roles. So I would say that having that sense of belonging um, really would, I think, would speak volumes. Um, That's what I would say. I know I went really serious there. No, that's really <laughs> but I, good. I think I, it's I, important, you know, I think it's important to show, um, especially the younger generation coming into this industry that, you know, there are people like us. Um, and that's one of the reasons, honestly, that I joined Retail Wire and that I really wanted to join Retail Wire because I didn't see anyone that looked like me or who came from my background from a merchant perspective. Um, and I feel like there are more like us, but if we see people like, like representation absolutely matters, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, to somewhat, somewhat to relate, uh, that is, is I'm a big, like, I love comic books and stuff like that. I love like uh, Marvel <laughs> universe and everything. So I love what they've done with trying to expand that and, and, you know, really just, just show everybody has, you know, the superpowers. That's the cool part is that, there's a lot more, like I think of Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse just recently, you know, released in theaters, what, a month or so ago. And just thinking how cool, how empowering that is to see like, oh, look, that, that guy looks just like me or that girl looks just like me or, you know, hear those stories and go, you know, I think of people, uh, women of color who have been in, in the industry for years, like you have, you've really pioneered a lot, right? Like you've kind of, you kind of like held down the fort <laughs> while everybody else was, <laughs> uh, you know, you, you stayed in the trenches with everybody. Um, and now you're, like you said, you're starting to see more, uh, more women of color, uh, represented. And so I think that's really cool to see, uh, coming about, um, just because there's aspirations, you know, there's, there's different goals, um, and, and different opportunities today for, for really all of us, uh, that, that yeah. there never have been before. And so I think that's yeah. really, uh, you know, it's not too deep. I think it's really, really great. And I love being able to talk about it. Um, you know, I've, I've watched you speak uh, a little bit over at uh, Shop Talk, you know, whenever we were there in Vegas. And so uh, being able to see that and just knowing, uh, you know, that, that there's real conversations happening and it's really moving the needle for everybody. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if, if we look at it from a business standpoint, which I always do, is that if our mm -hmm. customers are diverse, then our retail leaders should also be diverse because then, you know, they'll act, they'll actually understand what that consumer is looking for. Like it makes business sense, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's it it can help. It can help in so many different areas of the journey that I think on a on a surface level you probably don't realize just how how intricate and deeply woven in that is, but then. The more you go, the more you can, uh, yeah, the more that you can actually relate to your customers, you can relate to each other better. So, well, Lisa, thank you so much for jumping in with me today. I really, really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, I know you got to bounce because you got, uh, you got, you're a mover and a shaker, right? You keep things going. So I don't think the grass ever grows under your feet. Um, but thank you so much. I've really appreciated your insights and just being able to get to know you a little bit better and share you with our audience here. Thank you for having me. This was this was a lot of fun. Thank you.
And you're right. I do have to, I have to fly. <laughs> we understand. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're always getting on a jet somewhere. So if am, last question is if people want to connect with you uh, to further this conversation a little bit, know more about you is LinkedIn the best way, or is there a different website or a way that they should reach out to you? Uh, what's convenient for you? Uh, LinkedIn is definitely uh, very easy. Uh, all my contact details are on LinkedIn. You can also find me at retailstrategygroup.com or Perfect. follow and subscribe to my newsletter called themerchantlife.com. We talk a lot about uh, process improvement, um, helping uh, to optimize gross margins, and of course, increasing profitability and, and a few stories about my 22 years of merchandising and buying. So good. So good. Well, I will make sure and put links to all of that in our description notes down here below. Um, so feel free to follow along. And if this is your very first time listening to the Retail Wire podcast, I would just encourage you to hit that subscribe button, turn on your notifications so you don't miss another great episode. Because uh, like you heard, we've got incredible people here on our brain trust, just like Lisa. Uh, we've got a lot more stories that are coming out. We've got several stories that have already been published. Uh, so be sure and go back to listen to other episodes. Uh, if you want to see what Lisa or I look like, uh, you can go over to our YouTube channel uh, at Retail Wire, and you can actually check that out. Uh, you can see us, get to know us a little bit better. But uh, we love having you. So thanks again, Lisa, and have a wonderful time uh, doing whatever your next adventure is here. Uh, I, I'm not sure where you're off to, but have fun. And uh, I'm sure you will uh, arrive very fashionably uh, and, and in great taste. So, <laughs> Thanks, Brian. <laughs> All right. We'll see you next time here on the Retail Wire Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Retail Wire Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Be sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting platform and leave us a comment for a chance to hear it read on the next show. See you next time here on the Retail Wire Podcast.